Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I have a really thoughtful and fascinating conversation with the designer, researcher, and educator, Mindy Sue. Mindy is currently a student at the Harvard Graduate School of Design and was previously a designer at 2x4 and at MoMA's in-house design team. In her spare time, she's worked on a variety of archival projects for magazines like Avant-Garde and Fact. Mindy and I met a few years ago when we were both living in San Francisco, and I've just really enjoyed watching the evolution of her career. And so I was really interested in talking to her about how she thinks about her work and how her work has evolved over the last couple of years. So in this conversation, we, we talk about her early design education. We talk about how she started teaching and the role of research in her design process. We also talk about her decision to go back to school, to go to grad school at Harvard and what she wants to get out of that, as well as how that experience is already changing her process and practice. This was a, a great conversation. Mindy is so thoughtful and I felt like I really learned a lot from her and just really admire her thinking and research and work and think that she embodies so much of these ideas around expanded practice that come up on the podcast all the time. Remember, if you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, you can become a member for $5 a month or $50 a year to receive an exclusive monthly newsletter with additional content and episode previews. Memberships really help keep the podcast going. and I just appreciate all of your support and hope that you enjoy this conversation with Mindy Sue. When I was thinking about this conversation, kind of what I wanted to talk to you about, I have I have a bunch of different things that I want to talk to you about that are all very probably different and mm-hmm. and diverse, and I'm not sure exactly the best way to structure them in a coherent conversation. And so I kind of want to start with just a little bit of your background, because I don't actually know. Yeah. I've known you for a couple of years now, but I don't know how you got into all of this or or <laughs> kind of like where your interest in design came from. And so yeah. I thought that might be a good way to kind of frame all of this, and then mm-hmm. we can use that to talk about all these other things. Right, right. So where did your interest in design come from, or how did you get into Oh, I wonder design. how far this should go back. Should I start with high school? Yeah, as far back far? as far back as you want. I mean, I think that is related. My mom was a fine arts major, interior design oh. double, and my oh, dad was an engineer. So okay. when I was growing up, I had these two sides where my mom would like take me to the park and she would make a grid out of wire and we would draw different squares. Oh, that's amazing. Whereas my dad was much more structured and uh, pragmatic. And then in high school, I was involved in a bunch of these student groups like student government or yearbook. So you're designing yearbook spreads or t-shirts or posters, but you don't think it'll be a career. You just enjoy doing this thing. Um, So then when I went to UCLA, I was actually a business economics major. Oh, I didn't know that. And I didn't take a single busy con class. (laughs) Okay. Um, So within my first year, I was taking a bunch of foundational studios in the design media arts program. So then you could just do that even though you... Well, you would have to like petition with the teacher. Um, kind of show enthusiasm and persistence. Yeah. But once I took a bunch of those, I used that as uh, portfolio work and then applied to transfer the next year as a sophomore. So then I was a 
once I began my second year, I became a design media arts major. What was that transition like? I mean, obviously you had this life where you kind of were aware of design yeah. and that this was a part of your world. Um, like why, I guess the, the question I'm trying to ask is why didn't you just do that originally if that was the thing? Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> I think it's really because even if my mom was interested in the arts, she was still, like when I was growing up, my parents owned a flower shop. Mm, and oh. later now they're in real estate. But still... Oh. You don't actually know what job opportunities exist right. when your worldview is like, okay, I have I need technical skills. I'm going to go into business and then get an MBA. Oh, I see. Yeah. So I didn't even know it was possible. Like I didn't know what art direction was. I didn't right. know who designed fashion labels or anything like that. Did you know going into business, did you know like what that meant? No. Even now, do I really know what that means? (laughs) I recently took a class at MIT Sloan, and even in that class, it was like, what does it actually mean to manage a company? And do these students actually care about which company they manage? Or are they just trying to get general management skills? It's all very vague to me still. Um, Maybe if I got an MBA and it was more specific, (laughs) it might be clarified. So when when you then switched and kind of, realize that design or like was it is that what did you say it was that you switched it's a strange title it's called design media art okay what does that mean i don't even know because it used to have a pipe design and then a pipe media art um they they later removed that punctuation mark i think it's meant to be we're very uh multidisciplinary okay so the four different tracks are graphic design video gaming um interactive oh interesting but you can mix and match so everyone who comes out of the program is basically like pulling skills from all these four different quadrants oh so you don't go in with like uh you're gonna you're going into this program to be a graphic designer to be a video artist you do all of them you have to take everything and you can kind of specialize in your last year um but most students really do mix and match so i gravitated towards graphic design and interactive but still, when I graduated, I wanted to be a book designer. Because I was going to say, hearing this actually m- makes sense with the way the way I've watched you work mm-hmm. and the way I've seen your career move, I feel is very multidisciplinary yeah. and is very much not in, um, doesn't always follow kind of what we might think of as traditional graphic design. Yeah, sure. Um, and so I'm, I guess I'm interested in maybe how that, very multidisciplinary education influence your career kind of mm. graduating or like why after all that what was it about book design or how did you mm. you know how did you kind of navigate that it's interesting because in retrospect I have been looking through some of my older undergraduate projects thinking wow this was actually quite in line with what I'm doing now so for example I took a class with Brian Rodinger and It was just a book design class. I feel like it was, I forgot what the course was called. But I basically made a book about internet semantics and language. (laughs) I was using that content as a proxy just to make this book and think about the form. Right. But now that I'm looking back on it, I'm like, okay, that's actually quite pointed to what I'm more interested in. Yeah. Graphic design will always be a pillar in my practice, but it's not like the primary focus. I'm not only concerned with form. And then for my thesis project with Casey Rees, um, I made like this print-on-demand catalog, so still very print-based. Yeah, yeah. 
but students could then upload their project information like seconds before our thesis show. Yeah. And then in the gallery space, people could select their projects and it printed on the spot and they could bind it on the spot. Oh, interesting. So again, very related. Yeah, but when yeah, you're yeah, yeah. At that age, you're just making things because you're kind of fearless and you want right, to make everything. Right. Um, now I'm much less fearless, I think, and more concerned about what I distribute publicly. It is interesting to see those threads. Yeah, I want to come back to that because yeah. both of those things about kind of um, how what you were doing matches what you're doing now and, and this idea of not being just interested in form, mm -hmm. um, but also this fearlessness. I want to come back to both yeah, of those, yeah. but I want to just follow this this kind of thread of your story and just to kind of get us up to today. Sure. So after you graduate, you, you went to MoMA first? Was that your, your job mm -hmm. right after? In the in-house graphic design studio, yeah. or what is it called? In-house department of advertising and graphic okay. design. But then I quickly switched to two by four. And then when I was hired in the New York office, I uh, one of the art directors, Milena Sade, was moving to San Francisco to start their West Coast satellite. So then I moved out with her. And it was the two of us there for several mm -hmm. years. And was that... Was that kind of very, I'm asking this question based on, on your last answer, mm -hmm. was that kind of very kind of what I would call traditional graphic design? You were working with clients, it was kind of, you know, client mm -hmm. work and mostly interactive kind yeah. of? Yeah, uh, the two by four structure is fairly siloed. I think at this point there are six teams. Some are duplicates, like there are multiple branding teams. But I was on the interactive media team, which basically meant... Which is an interesting title, actually, because even if our works were all interactive, they weren't necessarily digital, but it has that connotation. Oh, interesting. It was very spatial, hence yeah. the installation part. Um, that so, all f fell under the interactive team. Right. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. And you do often work with architecture and branding and whatnot, but there are also projects that are specific to just single silos. Yeah, yeah. Right, so then when I was working with Milena, it was just the two of us in the West Coast Satellite. The, I mean, the reason I asked that is because... Um, you know, you mentioned before that you're not just interested in form mm -hmm. uh, and that graphic design is just kind of one pillar of the things, right. of kind of all of the things that you're interested in. And I'm thinking about that I kind of came to your work or first was introduced to you through a project that I think you did on your own. It was the mm -hmm. Sweethearts mm -hmm. project. That was just a kind of project you did by yeah. yourself, right? Well, it was interesting because I was talking with a Twitter friend and he... And I wanted to work on a thing together. So we brainstormed Sweethearts and how that would translate okay. so nicely into a, like a digital form. Yeah. It naturally has a page structure. It's meant right. to be flipped. It's very right. interactive and kinetic. Um, and then my partner at the time helped me build it. So it was kind of a collaborative project, definitely. But I ended up adopting it as kind of my brainchild because I put so much effort into this. Right. I mean, I assigned it. I assigned it to to my students this mm -hmm. semester. Uh, when it was a writing class, and we were talking about kind of the visual aspect of writing, mm -hmm. uh, and and obviously concrete poetry was a part of that. And it was so much easier to show them sweethearts uh, through the thing that you made than actually sure. kind of showing them the book itself. But the the reason I think this is interesting and kind of connects back to everything we've talked about so far is. And I'm not trying to set you up to kind of talk negatively about your professional career or your mm -hmm. former employee, employers or anything, because I, I feel this way about my own career, that when you're interested in things that are related to graphic design but not 
kind of strictly graphic design, you can't always get that in your quote unquote day job. And sure. so you have to do these kind of side projects. Was that, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to say, were you not intellectually engaged at two by four or something like that, but what do you think that drive was outside of the work that you were doing day to day that you were kind of doing these other projects? I think the primary difference is it's the juxtaposition of both of these sides. So during mm. your day job, when I was at 2x4, you have massive projects. Right. There's a large scope, there's a long time frame, there's high profile clients. You're working with several people mm -hmm. and there are multiple rounds constantly. Right. So you learn a lot from that process, but then to pair that with kind of this microsite where you're oh. translating a book that you mm -hmm. can finish in about a month, you can distribute quickly. It's just a totally different type of project. So it's not that, I don't think it's, I think it's quite reductive to say like day jobs are corporate right. or, and private or your personal projects are what you should be doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you do learn a lot from both of these things. Yeah. Well, and that's where you, you stole my thunder because that's kind of where I was trying to <laughs> okay. take this because I wanted to then bring in that that you also started teaching when you were in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm very interested in how you've done a lot of these, I'm calling them personal projects because I don't know yeah, how else to call the them, right but sweethearts, but then also the, these kind of archives that you've been mm -hmm. building. And then you were teaching, you started teaching, and then you're doing two by four. And mm -hmm. I'm interested in how all those things fit together mm -hmm. or, or the overlap between them or how you kind of thought about them as part of a, larger practice mm -hmm. that you were building? Well, I will say at 2x4, even if you're working with incredibly smart, generous people, especially on my team, you're working with a lot of new technologies mm -hmm. and there are kind of these pop-up things that aren't meant to stand the test of time. So you're open to like pitching something that's quite oh. wild because you know it'll be down in a year or right. a few years. Right. So that paired with teaching is completely different because how do you then teach this non-client model to students? Because if you think yeah. of San Francisco and California College of the Arts, it's very informed by the culture that mm -hmm. surrounds the school, mm -hmm. which is startup billboards on buses flying right. by, right. the school being very expensive, right. Silicon Valley kind of permeating everything that they do. So it's really easy to just have a student say, I want to become very technical so I can get hired at this company. Right. So then how do you then reveal, okay, that's totally fair and I understand the perspective, but there is something to be said for initiating your own work and yeah, seeing how yeah, that yeah. might guide your own practice, even if it is paired with a more corporate endeavor. How, do you, how did you do that? <laughs> I know that's a big mm. question. It's a question that I've been thinking about all the time as I've been doing more and more teaching because... This is, this is a bit reductive and oversimplified, but there's, I could bucket my students into people who are really interested, students who are really interested in kind of graphic design at a kind of intellectual, mm -hmm. this is a way that I can kind of explore things that I'm interested in, which I think is kind of what we're kind of talking about. There are people that are like, I want to work at Google, you know, mm -hmm. basically, and mm -hmm. give me the skills so I can get that job so I can build that portfolio. Sure. And then there's there's a group of people more so um, in in undergrad that are just I want to make stuff that looks cool. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, stuff that looks good on the internet that people are going to like on Instagram. Mm -hmm. That's a generalization, but I think that that, that that that's kind of 
roughly the buckets. How do you, and so I've been thinking, how do I hit all of those and show them that, yeah, graphic design is this thing that can do this one thing, but it can also do this other thing. Mm -hmm. I will say, I think when you're younger, it's really easy to say, this is right and this is wrong. Yeah. And while there are a lot of problems with Google and Apple, yeah. we still use those products yeah. and you can still work for those companies, but it's important to not just buy into their ideology and understand what you're contributing to. You can understand that Google is a monopoly and that they're selling our information, right. surveying us without our permission. That's fair, but you have to acknowledge that openly before just blindly joining their team. Same thing with the internet, making this uh, aesthetically pleasing content. Yeah. That's a great formal exercise too. But it's the difference between passive consumption and active consumption. Right, right, right. It's just knowing who your audience is and who you actually want to build a community with. Have you read, it's so funny that you say this, I'm currently in the middle of reading uh, a book by Neil Postman called Teaching as a Subversive Activity. Do you I know this book? It, no. And the whole first chapter is almost exactly what we're talking about. The book was written in the 60s, but it's so relevant to today and to this conversation in that you know, he's basically arguing that the goal of teaching or the goal of the classroom is to teach students to be critical thinkers, to be mm -hmm. both in their their tribes or communities mm -hmm. or corporations, while also being outside just enough that they can kind of be Absolutely. critical of it. And I think for graphic design especially, that's mm -hmm. so, I think that's such a great skill to teach graphic designers because so much of graphic design is taking these kind of ideologies that you're talking about and making them manifest and putting them out in the world, making right, right. them attractive. Right. I think we shouldn't simplify and say like mass media is inherently bad. Right. Or like mass public consumption is inherently shallow. Right. Maybe right. it is a majority of the time, but if you do have that outlet, what are ways that you might change how people process information? Yeah. I will also say, when I first started teaching, um, I basically inherited Laurel Schwulz's class. Okay. She teaches interactive at Yale MFA, and she was the, I think it's called designer in residence at California College of the oh, Arts. Oh, yeah. So when I inherited her class, you basically have this like very stable foundation of these experimental conceptual projects right. that you can build off of and change and but it does kind of set the tone for what the course will be right and I think that was really important for for CCA did you have an interest in teaching or how did this even come about that you started I'd always been interested in teaching um, I think maybe it's also going back to that idea of juxtaposition yeah. like I really love workshops because you can't overthink something right you have like three hours to maybe a week to have an idea, commit to it, execute it. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be like perfectly conceptually sound, but it's just rapid exercises that really does help build like these different nodes and what your, whatever yeah. your holistic practice is. How did, when you, when you kind of started teaching or when you then found yourself, you know, taking on the role of, of a teacher or an educator, do you feel like you approached your job differently? Did that change how you thought about the role of the designer? Like, did that kind of come back the other way? I almost wonder if it was a natural progression because so many people at 2x4 are teachers, mm -hmm. including all of the founders, right? including the people on my team. Um, yeah, I'm actually wondering right now if everyone on my old team was teaching oh, wow. while also working. 
I think the hardest part was you're still working full time. So that means you're teaching the seven to 10 slot twice a week. Right. Yeah. While still trying to maintain these personal projects. So that really starts wearing on you. It's really easy to say yes at the end of a semester and say like, okay, I'll deal with it in three months when the semester starts again. But I was starting to question like, okay, what do I want to prioritize? I can easily stay on this track and continue being a designer in a studio who teaches on the side and it would be fine. Mm -hmm. Or I can really try to define what my practice is. It's interesting to say that possibly everyone on your team were, mm. were teachers. I'm wondering if that changes the kind of design culture in a studio or, or even mm. the way you approach design when, when there's this kind of connection to academia or to uh, not just kind of endlessly mm. pushing out work. Right. Um, and I'm asking, I, I, I will lay my cards on the table, I'm asking that coming from work environments where there was no connection to academia and that often the environment was just you know we just have to be putting stuff out mm -hmm. all the time and so there wasn't a place for that kind of reflection or or critique that we're kind of talking about and i'm curious if if that's ingrained in a studio culture do you think that changes the output or the process or or the mm -hmm. the discussion from a purely logistical standpoint, it means they're more forgiving when you need to teach. Mm, right. Yeah, right? Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you only have a set yeah. amount of hours. Yeah. So if they understand that you're teaching, then they are supportive of that and they want you to explore these other endeavors. On the other hand, you might consider the 2 by 4 model also kind of a teaching structure. Mm. Maybe when I was there, it was kind of past that point. But when 2 by 4 started, it was rather small. Right. And it was meant to be like this learning environment. Right, right. It's a much, much larger scale now, so I'm actually curious how much of that is maintained. Yeah. But I think that foundation is there. So you had, from the outside, what appears like a good job at 2x4. You mm -hmm. were teaching. You had a very prolific output of side projects mm -hmm. or personal projects. And then last year, you decided to go back to school and go to graduate school mm -hmm. uh, at Harvard. And so I'm... What, why did you do that? Or like, what was the plan? Or what, what weren't you getting from this mm. kind of practice you were building for yourself that you... Like, I wanted the criticism, the reading, the writing, the theory, and the research. I, yeah. You have a sort of research at 2 by 4 and obviously that, go, that applies to teaching as well. It's not like a core, the primary focus. It does remind me of this amazing woman, Irit Rogoff, She's the director know. of visual culture at Goldsmiths. Okay. She, I went to her lecture at MIT's art culture technology program, and she talked about becoming research mm. and how currently we might describe it as project-based research. You have right, all of these right. different projects, but they all are culminating in like a singular research thread. Mm -hmm. And while I was learning from good people and working with great clients and using that tech, as I mentioned. Yeah, 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 yeah. At the end of the day, I felt like, okay, I don't know if I want to keep promoting other people's <laughs> brands or institutions. Right. I want to, like, try to work with nonprofits. They really think about the interface, really think about digital archives. Yeah. And I moved, like, really deeply into web culture. Right. And maybe away from spatial installation. So how is, what was your... First year 
like like do you feel like that thing that you were going for or that kind of kind of maybe shifting how you thought about your work mm. do you feel like you're closer to that or that you were able to better put words around it mm. or or define it I think so definitely I should specify that Harvard's Graduate School of Design, especially my concentration, which is called Art Design in the Public Domain, it's oh, post-professional. The name itself is quite leading. There is no curriculum, so you have to initiate your entire course load, who advises you, who you want to collaborate with, yeah. and what supplemental institutions you'd like to work with. Um, I'll also mention that the name institutions gets a bad rap, like it's kind of used in this negative connotation. What do you mean? If you think of like institutional critique, or for example, it's really easy to say that institutions are like the man and you should Yeah, like yeah, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. which is again very reductive. Yeah. But at the if you just think about the pure definition an institution is just a grouping of people mm. who have a shared vision. Mm-hmm. So I kind of Maybe it's stripping it down too much, but I do like to no, think about it that way. Because even like a body of three could be considered a sort of institution. Right? right. What are ways to think of like organizing people? I want to go back to, to kind of what you're talking about with, what was the name of the, the program again? Design? Art Design the Public Domain. Art Design and the Public Domain or in the Public Domain? And. and. Mm-hmm. So I want to, I might be stretching this connection but I'm interested in how that reflects back or connects back to what you were saying earlier about graphic design being just kind of one pillar of the thing that you're interested in Mm -hmm. and that, that form making isn't the only thing that you're interested Mm in and kind of hearing you talking about institutions and institutional critique and kind of moving your practice away from promoting kind of other brands or, or other companies Do all these, I'm wondering how all these things fit together, if they do. I think if you ask me in a year, I will have a much more clear answer for you. I do think that these are like core components of what I'm thinking about. If I use like digital archive, which is my primary focus, as kind of a proxy to talk about all those things, how can you use this existing standard, like skeuomorphism, reading online, things like that, and kind of change them for what you think is a better practice. So mm. all these projects I kind of see as case studies for oh, how I want to view information online. And that is making it as comprehensive as possible, making it free and accessible, right? connecting a lot of different references and writers and contexts. How can we think about the interface as a place of like discursion rather than display? Currently, the internet is all about display and self-promotion, and I think that is difficult to, like, find your place in. I guess, I guess if I I were, this is such a a oversimplified question, but I don't know how else to ask it. Mm -hmm. Um, What is the role of the designer in that, I guess? Or how do you think about your role as a designer Mm -hmm. And as a designer who's thinking about these things in a very kind of expansive way of changing these mm-hmm. methodologies or these modes of communication, how mm-hmm. how, do, how can or how should design, quote-unquote design, play a role in that? Let me use a metaphor to maybe describe okay. this. Okay, all right, yeah. I don't know if it will be successful. When I first got to the Graduate School of Design, 
it's an architecture school. Mm -hmm. So everyone was a designer or used that title, but they were architects. Mm. They weren't allowed to use the word architect because they didn't have a license. So they called themselves designers. Oh, interesting. So me, as a graphic designer, going into that program, hearing about people being designers and designing, I had to really question the semantics of the world that I was in. Right. So now I do kind of feel like maybe these titles are within your world way too narrow yeah, yeah, and you yeah. shouldn't really yes i call myself a designer but i don't necessarily think that's limited to form or development or you know i didn't mean to keep coming back to this idea of design being this one pillar because you weren't just interested in form i'm wondering if our definitions of what a graphic designer or even just a designer in general is too limiting or is too strict and something i feel like this podcast has kind of become a question of what is graphic design or what else could graphic design be or how else could we talk about graphic design and so I'm wondering what your experience you know with that word maybe or with that term and as your practice has expanded and then working with architects who are calling themselves designers and kind of changing how you think about this word like, where are you now with that? Mm. Or, like, your relationship to the, that term? How do you feel about that? Mm. Not to dance around the actual word designer. <laughs> but I will say... <laughs> it's really interesting redefining these terms. But I think it's more important to just think of yourself as a constructed subject. <laughs> so you have all of these yeah. experiences in your life. We go to school, we study graphic right. design, but our parents also did something and they came from certain places. Right. And like we all have these rich histories. So if we can weave that all together and then make work from it and think about the audience, then maybe the term doesn't actually matter. I mean, I, I agree. I agree with that. And I, I've often wrestled with terms and what I call myself and what I call my work. And and part of me thinks, part of me kind of thinks like what you're talking about makes sense. And I felt this also that, you know, it doesn't really matter. But then part of me also, and maybe this is just because it's what I studied, because it's like the thing that I've always wanted to do, still finds value in that word designer mm-hmm. or that term graphic designer. Mm-hmm. And that I want to redefine it or sure. open it up. Right. Um, Maybe another way to look at it is maybe some people's practices are quite singular. Yeah. But for me, collaboration is a huge part of all the projects Mm -hmm. that I want to make and all the things that I want to research. So maybe a nicer way to think about it is the title designer helps you kind of delegate roles when you're collaborating with different Mm -hmm. types of people. Mm -hmm. So when I'm working with an archivist or an educator or an activist, yeah. my title can be designer, that's fine, but you still have a discussion right, and you each right. come in with different yeah. skills, but the end project is a holistic project. It's not like they're thinking of the subject and I'm just right. reskinning it. So so I know this is, is premature to ask this question since you're only half, it is a two-year program, right. so you're only halfway through, but what are you thinking is next or how how do you see your life post grad school different than mm. pre grad school 
This is again going to evade the question. <laughs> okay. But I would say in my life, I've always been like a five-year planner, right? I have an idea. I create this rough five-year plan. It's more of a guideline, but at least I know what to point towards. And then getting into grad school, I realized, okay, that is really difficult because things are changing so rapidly. Yeah. So my time frame has been reduced to like three-month planning. <laughs> So I can tell you what I'm doing in the next three months, okay, but I possibly cannot tell you what I'm doing in the next year. Okay. So what are you? All right. So what are you doing in the next three months? Or how? Let me let me ask it in a more specific way. How is what you're doing in the next three months um, a reflection mm. or a um, a result of what you've spent the last mm-hmm. year doing that sure. you probably couldn't have done, mm. you know, before that? Right. So I will be a fellow at the Internet Archive for the next three months. My role will be twofold, art directing and organizing creative uses for the Decentralized Web Summit, which is in late summer. That's so interesting. So it's incredibly related. Yeah. Even if during my first year I was focusing on digital archives, a lot of these new systems have archiving embedded in them. Like if you think of that, you can choose to always archive these web pages. Right, right. uh, use show the history and more so it's based on a network of people oh, right. it kind yeah, of yeah. evades this third party that has to be the transmitter between two, mm-hmm. or connecting two people yeah it gives you ownership over your work it, it it kind of reverts the web to its origins of like optimism and this utopic idea that you could <laughs> It's like this Wild West where you could do whatever you wanted, whereas now it seems like you can only do what you want from, like, these five platforms. Right. So it's it'll be interesting to see, like, what emerges from this summit. Yeah, I mean, and I'm just, like, really... This might sound weird to say, but I'm just, like, very happy for you because, like... I remember, like, the first time we met and you were talking about the Internet Archive and, and, and archives and, and that these were side... This goes back to what we were talking about earlier about side projects. These were things you were doing in your free time, and now you've kind of created this this practice for yourself where those things that were the the thing that you were kind of just doing for yourself is now, like, the thing that you're doing. Um, Was that... Were you kind of... Was that a goal? You know, were you kind of trying to do that? I think that's always the intent that when you go into a program like this, you'll emerge as a new person. Yeah. Maybe that's too idealistic. Even if grad school doesn't answer all the questions you have, if anything, it just adds more. <laughs> yeah. It does completely change your worldview. Like you're just meeting so many people that you, you wouldn't have if you were in the same studio that you had been in. Yeah. You're literally yeah. just meeting more people. That's yeah. really yeah. what school feels like. In terms of archiving specifically, and even this fellowship, up to a month ago, I didn't know what I would be doing for the summer. But these opportunities just come naturally. So yeah. I, it's been an exercise for me to really learn to improvise, oh. learn to commit and just... Or I guess think of short-term commitments rather than trying to like over-plan everything. How has... You know, archives are very important in your work. I think research is very important in your work. Um, how do those things, I don't know the verb that I'm trying to use, you know, how do they either kind of filter into 
your design practice or influence your design practice or or maybe maybe design practice is the right word um maybe to like the form part like how mm-hmm. how is maybe form and kind of these these research subjects mm. connect for you i think it gives you more agency to make the projects you want to see in the world. Mm, yeah, yeah. To go back to Erit Rogoff, she talks about teaching as the shift from inherited knowledge to uh, talking about conditions mm, and mm-hmm, responding mm-hmm. to those conditions. Mm-hmm. So with all of these design projects, nothing is this original idea. It's always a response right, right. or like a tangent of something else. Right. So if we can use this existing form, bring in new conditions, bring in new perspectives, and it will naturally emerge as like this newer modified version, and hopefully that yeah. version is better. Yeah, yeah, it's like um, there's that Bruno Latour essay where he talks mm-hmm. about how like every design is should really be called a redesign. Exactly. Like everything is just a redesign mm-hmm. of the thing that came before. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting yeah. connection. I haven't made that connection in that way before. I was actually just thinking of Latour because in his book, reassembling the social oh yeah i haven't read that one yet he it's basically an introduction to actor network theory okay and he says we should redefine what sociology means instead Mm. of it being the study of the social it should be the study of associations so i think more than anything my practice even if i thought it would be about digital archives it's just become more about networks and connections yeah and how like research projects education um all of these things just connect Obviously, with a lot of collaborators as well. You know, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about kind of both being kind of in in the profession, but also being able to critique mm-hmm. it in a way. Mm-hmm. What, from your vantage point and from the work that you're doing and the people that you're you're kind of collaborating with right now, uh, looking at the design profession, what are the things that are kind of, that designers you think designers should be talking about or thinking about or mm-hmm. or uh, that kind of critical, you know, deserve a critical lens right now. I think positioning is a huge topic that should be explained more in undergraduate, Mm. especially for students who are basically Gen Z and grew up (laughs) with the internet. Yeah. Positioning as in, how do you present yourself online? Oh, interesting. It's such a sculpted view of how you are perceived. It's like this weird ethnography and like there's all these different social constructs and these different ways of talking online and distributing or presenting yourself online. So positioning, then, is how do you actively present what you're doing? Mm-hmm. That involves, like, being careful about what you say, mm-hmm. understanding that, like, in order to get a response from someone, maybe online correspondence in a public setting is not the best place to do that. Right. That's so interesting. That's, it's You know, I've asked this question to 80-something people, mm-hmm. and that's actually not something that anyone's ever... Oh, brought up before mm-hmm. but as soon as you kind of described it i think you're exactly right both both from the way that you're talking about it but also in just kind of what kind of person do you want to be in the world sure exactly and, and i'm thinking about when i finished undergrad you know i didn't have any tools or language um or even like way to formulate what type of practitioner i wanted to be mm-hmm. You know, I just wanted to have a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't know that there were all these different types yeah, of jobs. Mm-hmm. I think kind of, yeah, being able to like put language around that and and 
again, I guess this comes back to networks and connections again, mm-hmm. too. It's kind of like how mm-hmm. you relate to, right, to right. everyone else. It's actually, yeah. That's really interesting. Maybe it also comes back to fearlessness. Yeah. Maybe yeah. because now I am more cognizant of how these things stay online forever. Yeah. I want to be careful about the things I put online and make sure, like, hopefully a lot of these things are meaningful and not just contributing to this weird echo chamber of passive consumption. And- yeah. My last question, and you've, throughout this whole conversation, you've mentioned people and books that have kind of influenced you, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm always interested in kind of who are the writers, the theorists, critics, mm-hmm. thinkers, or, or the books mm-hmm. that have really shaped how you think about basically all this stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we've been talking about or to put it in another way someone listening to this really interested in what you're talking about what's the the reading list that you give them to kind of dig deeper on these things Mm -hmm. I guess to reiterate the people that I've mentioned it could be Ira Rogoff she Mm. wrote an essay about a decade ago for Eflux called Turning about this educational turn in curating. Yeah. It could also be, or again, Bruno Latour's Reassembling the Social. The Cybernetics Library, there recently was a cybernetics conference in October. Um, If you go to cybernetics.social slash library, they have a large reading list. I'm also currently reading Broadband, which is Claire Evans' new book. I think oh, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, I think it's the, the tagline is uh, the untold story of the women who built the internet. Yeah, I listened to an interview with her just mm-hmm. the other day. She actually has a great mini talk on the Walker site talking about sci-fi. It's like 10 minutes. I think that, are there more? I'm sure there are so many more. I should have written them down. Yeah, this is one of those questions that I'm trying to get better at warning people before I yeah, ask yeah. it so you can think about it because mm-hmm. everyone that I ask is like, I have lines of bookshelves Mm. in my office and I can't think of one right now (laughs) yeah when it's on the spot suddenly it does make you think about how we uh remember content now it's (laughs) like through bookmarks yeah yeah (laughs) an institutional reference is the free thought collective also by Eric Rogoff I don't know what that is it's like this European Union where they're trying to redefine this educational model there's no reason to think that education should be curricular Mm. So how can we create a model where you bring in a lot of different practitioners, you're all working towards a shared goal, but it's less delineated, it's less regimented, it's less structured. Yeah. I actually quite like structure, but again, I think it's about challenging yourself to see this different perspective. Yeah. And again, uh, project-based research, how different projects can lead to a larger research uh, idea. I love that. I thought that was great. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, you know, minutes ago I'm just very I've very much enjoyed watching your career evolve and watching you kind of expand into these kind of other areas and it all feels like a a very natural progression you know each thing kind of makes sense after the other thing I'm just like very happy with kind of like what you're doing right now and like the way you've built your career and so I'm really glad that we got to have this conversation and kind of talk about all this stuff because I think it's really interesting I just kind of like really admire and like the way you think about all these things so thank you so much thank for, you so much for, for having this. me yeah it was a lot of fun this episode was recorded on May 18th 2018 in New York City our theme music is by Andy Borgasani we're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast you can find us on Apple Podcasts Google Play SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm thanks for listening